too. All right, our mandate to occupy. God spoke to me to establish his authority in the region of greater Detroit. We were aware of the lack of access believers had to hold conferences and meetings <clears throat> in the major public venues. I had heard that major ministries had never come to the city for healing or miracle meetings or word of, actually for word meetings because they said Kenneth, Hagen, uh, Kenneth Copeland left and said he'd never come back to Detroit again, and he never has because it's just so tough spiritually to get anything done. It says, we were instructed by the Lord to break the enemy's power over these venues. We did this by driving to these venues, the Cobo Hall, the Rensen, Palace at Auburn Hills, and the Pontiac Silverdome. Is there anything I left out? Was there something we, else we? Yeah, okay, Joe Lewis Arena. I need to put that in. Did you? All right. <laughs> so, yeah. <clears throat> We prayed for God's power to be displayed in these buildings and broke the devil's claim to them. We began to see the city benefit from these, the ministries that fill these places with the word of God and feeding hungry seekers. Our ministry had its first Power and Glory of God conference at Cobo Hall and the Western Hotel at the Renaissance Center. I could stand here for like two hours and tell you the favor that God gave us and the blessing that, you know... There were, there were ministers who came up to me later and asked me how we did what we did. And when you tell them, they're not going to do it. So, you know, we just say it's, it's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God. You know, I, you know God. And there are some people who would, would tell people that uh, nobody in Detroit knew how to do that. So God had to send somebody from out of town to show them how to get the job done. So those are things that have been, amen, those are things that have been said about. But see, when you're called and you're anointed to do something, there's no distance. To, he don't care where he tells you to go. You have to obey him and do what you're called to do. <clears throat> um, in the, when we had our meetings at the Weston Hotel, the reason we re moved, moved the meeting was because of the parking. We just couldn't get our buses in there because of the, and that's what you're going to find sometimes when you're in cities and, and close and all that kind of stuff. It was just more convenient for us to get into a place with better access. But the first year we were there, we were given free of charge uh, a, a suite of rooms that, that cost, what was it, about $1,600 a night. We saw, yeah, we saw the bill. We were given it free. Um, amen. We were given a, a suite that really was being held for a senator. And when they saw our name on the, on, the, uh, on the list for, you know, people who had booked rooms there, they scratched him out and put us up there was George McGovern. And I remember letting him in our room, and we, we told him that we were praying for him, and, and we graciously gave the room up to him. But he was a VIP, and God pushed him aside to let his people come in there. See, when God says you're the head and not the tail, he means that. See, that'll be, that'll be established in your life. We always had more than enough room for everything we needed to do. You know, we had, uh, we had four-bedroom suites. The, some of the suites were so large, you just ramble from one end to the next to the next and never get to the end of it. And so these were, were major, major confirmations to prayer. Uh, when you obey God, he appreciates it and he lets you know it. 
And so that's one of the things we weren't claiming anything. You know, we're just praying our prayers. We weren't trying to be anybody. We weren't demanding anything. But these are things that were offered to us. Uh, One of the meetings we had, we were given uh, their their um, their best penthouse there, the one that had the outdoor terrace and all that kind of stuff. And the one lady said it had a white piano. I remember that. I don't know who played that white piano, but we had somebody play that white piano. And one of the women told us, she said, we never even book anybody in this room. She says, this room is never booked. It's just reserved for whoever. So whoever they decide gets in there, gets in there. And so we've seen things like that where God has extended to us that's why, you know, it's like with me being at the, the um, us being at the Hawthorne now to do our meetings, it doesn't bother me because I know if I ever wanted it from God, he get, he's already given me the best. So why should I squawk about, you know, and, and nitpick about small things? I'm not there for the hotel anywhere. I'm there for the meeting and there to serve God. And so we've we've known, you know, the the best that the city has to offer and and we thank God for it and we know it's nothing but the the generosity of God, the heart and the love of God that's given us uh those things. Um the the so our ministry said we had our first Power and Glory conference at the Westin Hotel Narensen. We were the first Christian group to do this. Many more have followed and still continue to use them cuz I can remember when Everybody that had a church was getting in, you know, and that was like two or three years after we'd had our first meeting there. And I remember being in the lobby and watching those people stand for hours trying to register. And we had blanket registration. We just came in and got our keys and went to our rooms. And so God still gave us great favor wherever we were. So where and you don't have to get nasty with people. You don't have to threaten anybody, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you just have to just just graciously accept it from the hand of God. You know, we didn't even ask for these things. They were extended to us. They were offered to us uh, by the the salesperson that handled our our um, our um, uh, our our case. So so we had that. So we were the first Christian group to do this. Many more have followed and still continue to use them. Benny Hinn, Joyce Meyer, Moore Cirillo, many others have had successful meetings over the 20 years that we pray. God even blessed the woman who drove us from place to place with a new vehicle. She had a she had a van and she was always concerned about the condition of her van. And so we prayed in her van. We asked God to increase her and give her a new van. And sure enough, she got she said, I couldn't believe it. She said, I just she said, I was just thinking about it. And the Lord told me to go and go get my vehicle. And so that's what she did. And, and she blessed us to be able to take us from place to place. So that was there. Um, the Silver Dome the way we broke the power uh, over the Silver Dome. Now, she took us to all the venues except that one. Uh, the way we did that was that um, uh, when, well, Aubrey was still alive, you know, at the time. And uh, we had been, I had been praying because we were kind of just in Detroit. We didn't know anybody. And so we were looking for friends, you know, that kind of stuff. Or free stuff. What we call friendship <laughs> is free stuff. And so we got an invitation uh, in the mail to the Cadillac Challenge. 
And what that was was that Cadillac owners are given access to the new models when they first come out. So this only happens in Detroit because when you're an owner in a different city, you don't know anything about it. But, you know, because Detroit is the area where they make them and they test drive them, they'll offer that to owners uh, who understand the, the automobile, I guess, and won't, <laughs> won't steal it. Of course, we was trying. But anyway, that was in 1994, because the 95s were the new models that came up. And as I drove around, what they told you was to take, take every, every car you ever wanted to drive there. They had about six models. And so you could take any one. They just put the keys in a basket, and you grabbed keys out, and you ran to your car. And there was a driver, um, a coach in there with you that told you what to do and, you know, show the car's maneuverability and blah this and blah that. And as we were driving around, the Lord was showing me. He said, every place the soles of your feet tread, you will possess the land. So that's how we possess the Silver Dome, is by driving Cadillacs around there, zipping through and... We made, I know I made at least seven rounds around that track. They made a, a track around the, um, the out, outdoor of the uh, Silver Dome, the parking lots all connected around it, and you, they made a, a racetrack to go around there, and so that's what we did, and, and we were able to claim that venue as well. So God has unique ways and sometimes very fun ways uh, to get his work done. The other significant, that was the first significant, was to uh, open the heavens for uh, freedom for believers. And so the devil wouldn't resist them so much trying to go in. Because what will happen is that you'll go and try to rent a venue and somebody will give you resistance and you think, well, they just don't like Christians. You always, uh, you know, sum it up with something personal or something flesh and blood related. And so they no, nobody ever put it together that it was a devil and they needed to attack it on a spiritual level. And so when you understand these things, then God will use you to do these things. Um, that's, that's as simple as I can, can put it. If he sends you somewhere to do something, it's because you're the most qualified person to do it. That's, that's the way he does it. And so in, but that also entails you to be responsible. See, there's a responsibility clause in that, too, that if you have keys and you know how to do them and very few people know how to use the keys, you've got to use the keys. You've got to be the one to get there and use the keys. And so it's like letting somebody in. If, if, uh, you know, if you're the custodian of the building and you've got keys and I don't, I've got to wait for you to come and use those keys before I can get in there. And so it's the same thing with spiritual authority. The second, second mandate was uh, in 1994, I title this, Who Gave the Devil a Night? Because that's exactly what I asked when I heard about Devil's Night. I was appalled that people would actually use their authority to give something over to the devil like that. And so uh, I'll read you what we have, our, our, our notes in the book. It says, that was a question I asked a Detroit resident as she explained to me that the night before Halloween was then known as Devil's Night. It was a night of vandalism, fires, and lawlessness. The people didn't like it, but it was a tradition. I announced at our watchman's meetings that we would declare that night angel's night from now on, that we would take back the night from the devil. That was in 1994. The following is an article tracing the history of the beginning of angel's night in the city of Detroit. This is taken from the Wikipedia um, website. 
Devil's Night, October 30th, the night before Halloween, chiefly associated with serious vandalism and arson seen in Detroit, Michigan from the 70s to the 90s. The crimes became <clears throat> more destructive in Detroit's inner city neighborhoods and included hundreds of acts of arson and vandalism every year. The destruction reached a peak in the mid to late 80s with more than 800 fires set in 1984. 500 to 800 fires in the three days and nights before Halloween in a typical year. So you see, if you give the devil night, he gave him one night, he took three. You got me? So you don't give him nothing. <clears throat> 1994, quote, hundreds of fires were set in the city and suburbs on Sunday despite official efforts to discourage young people from the arson that had become associated here with devil's night the night before Halloween. A one-year-old girl died in a fire in a suburb, although the authorities were uncertain if the blaze were related to Devil's Night. At least 314 teenagers were arrested for violating a curfew intended to prevent Devil's Night unruliness, officials said today. Several families were left homeless and at least two people were charged with setting fires. The police said more arrests were likely. Yeah, but probably not. You understand? What? See, when you give the devil permission, people don't even try to enforce anything you could have laws there that that discourage it and ban it but to get somebody to enforce them see it's it's bad when your soul starts tolerating evil and your soul starts making excuses for evil and excuses for sin this is the result of it and so it says here uh, several families were left homeless at least two people were charged with setting fires the police said more arrests were likely this goes back to one of our worst nights since i've been on the job chief archie ward of the fire department said on sunday night angels night after a brutal devil's night in 1994 then mayor dennis archer promised city residents arson would not be tolerated in 1995, Detroit city officials organized and created Angels Night on and around October 29th through the 31st. Each year, as many as 50,000 volunteers gathered to patrol neighborhoods, fires plunged to near ordinary levels, that is 90 to 120 fires. In recent years, arsons and other crimes have fallen, much to the success of Angels Night's activities and volunteers. The drop in reported fires for the year 2008 has been credited to be because of the Angels Night program. <laughs> Amen. So you see what we declare in the spirit, God will put it in the ears of people in authority in the natural. He can change their minds. The Bible said the heart of the king is in the hands of God. He can turn it any, any way soever he wants to turn it. But he needs a people who will stand and declare these things. Amen. Okay, so this is the assisted suicide. So I'll share this with you and probably <clears throat> this will be the last one. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio when we began praying against assisted suicide. The sound of that oxymoron always made me angry, yet there were many who looked up to this Mangala in Detroit. My husband's job transferred to Detroit made it possible for me to deal up close and personal with the death spirit and its influence on the minds of influential people in government and the media. So this is the level on which we fight, is the, the highest level of authority, amen, in an area. So if you, if you can't handle the understanding that you do that, 
then you just need to stay in your Bible until you understand that's what's done. That's what's being done. We're not just begging God to release a few people here and there. We're changing the atmosphere of a whole region and a whole nation. Um, <clears throat> Jack Kevorkian. Jack, Jacob Jack Kevorkian, uh, May 26, 1928 to June 3, 2011, commonly known as Dr. Death, was best known for physician-assisted suicide. He claimed to have assisted at least 130 patients to that end. In 1987, he started advertising in Detroit newspapers as a physician consultant for death counseling. The state of Michigan revoked his medical license in 1991 and made it clear that he was no longer permitted to practice medicine or to work with patients. Um, he is known, uh, he has disturbing and blasphemous work, artwork that he has produced. He's an artist whose works are filled with organs, severed heads, maggots, blood, bullets, skulls, suffering, and cannibalism. He painted a Christmas picture of Santa's boot crushing a baby lying in a fireplace. Painted a picture entitled, Give Us This Day, depicting a half-man, half-baby eating the flesh off a decomposing corpse. He tried to organize an exhibit of Adolf Hitler's artwork. Death obsessed. As a medical resident, he wore a black armband and asked to work the night shift because more patients died then. He tried to photograph patients' eyes at the moment of death. Co-workers nicknamed him Dr. Death while he called his ghastly work the death rounds. He advocated medical experiment experimentation on death row inmates. It cost him his job at the University of Michigan Medical Center. Suggested that condemned prisoners be allowed to auction off their internal organs. He suggested that anyone sentenced to more than three years in prison be given the option of assisted suicide. At Pontiac General Hospital, he experimented with transfusing blood from corpses into live patients. One patient, Neil Nicole, got such a severe case of hepatitis from cadaver blood that his eye, eyeballs turned orange. He mixed cadaver blood with his own and used it to paint the frame for one of his works. He said carbon monoxide give, gives corpses a rosy glow. Kevorkian was tried four times for assisting suicide between May 1994-97. With the assistance of Jeffrey Figer, who is an attorney, Kevorkian was acquitted three times. The fourth trial ended in a mistrial. The trials helped Kevorkian gain public support for his cause. After Oakland County Prosecutor Richard Thompson lost his primary lost a primary election to a Republican challenger, Thompson attributed the loss in part to the declining public support for the prosecution of Kevorkian and its associated legal expenses. Now, just to show you how thorough God is when he gives you an assignment to, to get some, something done, um, one of another free thing Aubrey and I got, I don't know if he looked like he needed something or what, but somebody at his job was always giving him tickets to something. And so someone had given us tickets to a fundraiser, um, like a hundred dollar a person tickets. And what it was, it was a, they do these gourmet meal things where you can go from station to station. They're all the restaurants, important restaurants are represented there, but also a lot of political people are there. And God sat us at a table with Richard Thompson. Who was the, the prosecutor there? Yeah, but this other guy, what's his name? Because he's been to jail, he's been in a lot of trouble. His, 
Was he attorney general? Wait a minute. I said I remember his name. It'll come to me. But they were talking about how wise Kevorkian was. He was ahead of his time. The guy who owns Big Boy Restaurants. He actually looks like that little guy on the like 40-year-old big boy. I just kept looking at us. I can't believe this guy really. Huh? But um, a lot of people were there. And so we just chatted with him. And I got an understanding of what kind of heart these people had, what kind of thinking uh, they had. And, and there are some really demonic people that were um, you know, powerful in Oakland County at the time. There's a lot of witchcraft in that county, you know, a lot of, of uh, witchcraft, a lot of intellectualism, you know, uh, any place, Ann Arbor's the same way. Ann Arbor's got a lot of pharmaceutical places there and so forth and so on. And so you have to learn where the trouble's coming from in order to focus your prayer and know what to do. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, that guy's face keeps coming to me. I don't know why I can't think of his name, but he's been in jail since then. He lost everything lost everything and he's no longer he's been trying to run for things and can't get it off the ground again he was the main one talking about Jack Kervorkian was was had a lot of wisdom a lot of knowledge was ahead of his time one day everybody's going to believe like this and so forth and so on on November 22nd 1998 brought the broadcast of CBS News 60 Minutes Kevorkian allowed the airing of a videotape he made on September 17th 1998 which depicted the voluntary euthanasia of Thomas Yoke 52 who was in the final stages of Lou Gehrig's disease after Yoke provided his fully informed consent as some, a sometimes complex legal determination made in this case by editorial consensus on September 17th, Kevorkian himself administered Yoke the lethal injection. This was highly significant as all of his earlier clients had reportedly completed the process themselves. During the videotape, Kevorkian dared the authorities to try to convict him or stop him from carrying out these killings. Yelk's family described the lethal injection as humane, not murder. On March 26, 1999, Kevorkian was charged with second-degree murder and the delivery of a controlled substance. He was convicted of second-degree murder and served eight to ten years, served eight years of a 10 to 25-year prison sentence. He was released on parole June 1st, 2007, on condition he would not offer assisted suicide services to any other person. So the, this uh, next part is what I wrote in our uh, Lord's Lighthouse News newsletter in, sep in the spring of 1999. What a mighty God we serve. Who is our very present help in time of trouble? The Lord God Almighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. Oh, rejoice with me for the mighty works of the Lord has done, for he has defeated the enemy. Pharaoh's horse and rider are thrown into the sea. We praise the Lord for vindicating his people. We thank God for standing for us and dethroning evil powers that assault us daily. We thank the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever, for his name is holy. Holy is our God and there is none like him. Fairest of 10,000 is he. Glory to his name. We are rejoicing in that after 10 years, 
the prince of lawlessness that rules Detroit has been put to shame. Many of you have stood with us in praying against the assisted suicide powers that have tried to root themselves in this city. On March 26, 1999, God the righteous judge prevailed. Many of you joined us in asking the Lord to have Jack Kevorkian found guilty of what he was doing, murder. God has heard our cry and the cries of many handicapped, infirm, elderly, and helpless persons who could easily be disposed of if this lie called assisted suicide is ever established in this country. We are grateful to God for giving the prosecutors in Oakland County the boldness to stand for God's laws. God is the creator, author, and giver of life. No man has the right to take the life of another. This power belongs to God and God alone. Truth has been established. Bless the Lord forever and ever. On April 14th, Jack Kevorkian was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison for his crimes. I like what the judge said as his sentencing. This is about lawlessness. When I first moved to the city, God began to reveal to me the strong man here as he does wherever I go to work for him. Many people that I met along the way said that they had seen visions about the strong man. Some even went so far as to say all the wickedness was centered in the inner city and moved to the suburbs. Many people who are into what they call spiritual mapping, trying to figure out who the strong man is by knowing the history of a city, who was killed where, who massacred minorities at what locations, and going to these locations to pray. People have told me they see 12 gates, some see 7 gates, but they can never tell you in real terms what this is all about. My feeling is this, the living God will have you deal with now problems. Detroit has a bad problem with lawlessness. When God revealed this to me, he began to make me aware of lawlessness among church people, politicians, and ordinary citizens. He showed this to me in Jack Kevorkian, how he would laugh at the prosecutor and dare them to convict him. He did this for close to 10 years, but God. People, if you work for God, he will show you through revelation, knowledge, and the word of God how to defeat your enemy. Not flesh and blood, but the real culprit, the spiritual forces behind the flesh. The best revelation I've found comes through the word of God and the gifts of the spirit, not through history books. It's okay to get some things confirmed through natural knowledge, but assignments to pray come from heaven, not from natural maps or historical events to which we attempt to give spiritual significance. I was very grateful when Kim Clement began to minister and do warfare in the city. Christians here owe him a debt of gratitude. His intercession has allowed the Holy Spirit more freedom in the city. Declaring the word of God always passes judgment on the devil. Kim's ability to move out in boldness and declare what will be is in sharp contrast to much of the prayer that goes on here. A mixed multitude of tongue talkers and non-tongue talkers trying more to pretend to get along with one another than to get any deep work done in the spirit. So I thank God for Kim and his unique brand of warfare. These kinds of spiritual activities prepare the way for the, for the Lord's revival to happen. I remember how Dr. Lester Summerall established a dwelling place for God's spirit when he went to the Philippines. Dr. Summerall cast out one devil and opened up that country for the gospel like nobody before has, has done before or since. He cast a witchcraft devil out of a young girl. The girl was a street prostitute who had been arrested. While in jail, she put a curse on the jailer and he died. This happened twice. Everyone was afraid of her. At one point, the demons tormented and bit her. 
She was in misery. Dr. Sumrall heard her cries while watching the news on television. He prayed for this girl until he heard from God. He went to the jail and after much discussion was finally allowed to see her. By the anointing that was placed upon him by God, anointings you must pay the price for, he was able to cast the devil out of the girl and suffered no harm. He suffered, uh, cast the devil out and the girl suffered no harm. He was much respected in the Philippines after that. The Lord worked with him everywhere he went. I believe God always wants to give the keys to the city to his prophets if they will obey him. We have much to do to win this great harvest that everyone is talking about. It won't be done by puny prayers, but will be done by committed warriors who pray more than talk, who like the closet more than the public places, who have an anointing that they protect and know their God, they will do exploits. So the case against assisted suicide from the Watchman book. I don't know if I need to go back over this again. Yeah, it just gives the same synopsis. But I, I tied it all into different comments that I've made over the years as to, um, uh, you know, what was important during the time. Yeah. Says Jack Kervorkian was sentenced to spend his remaining years behind bars. He had been ordered to pay the state room and board costs for his prison stay. Any money he has or has coming will go to the state. Many of the people who once supported him cannot be heard of now. A growing uh, counter movement has begun bringing together Christians, the elderly, and the infirm to fight these laws allowing assisted suicide. The law in Oregon that passed has yet to be carried out. Well, that was at that time. You know, people, there have been people who have had doctors in their lives there. People suddenly seem to be not so interested in executing their rights to death with dignity. Another strategy of the devil in building mental strongholds is to change terminology to acceptable and less threatening sounding words. This movement to make everything politically correct is a strategy that works to help people to accept the unacceptable. Words like assisted suicide, death with dignity, right to choose are coined to take the place of murder. When we use subtlety, guile, or deceit, we are operating in witchcraft. Often what we call tact is simply an attempt to beguile someone into accepting our way. The word of the Lord, when executed, will bring about dramatic results. I remember talking to intercessors about Jack Kervorkian. When he was arrested, few made any comment about his arrest, a sure sign that they had quit praying long ago. Watchmen cannot afford to quit. When God gives assignments, he does so. People he knows, he does so to people he, know, he knows will bring back the heads of the uncircumcised Philistines. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> Praise God. So what happens is that God wants to change the minds and the hearts of people. It's one thing, because I know I remember asking God, well, this is an old man, why don't you just kill him? And, you know, whatever, that's what he does with people. He died a non-assisted death. You know, he went, didn't go on his terms. He probably kicking and screaming, wanting to know if God was real. But what God endeavors to do is change the minds and hearts of people. Because if it's like, what, if you kill the devil, what is, what's that going to stop? You know, where are you going to bury his body? Like, you know, and when, you know, people are going to come and visit him and all that kind of stuff. He never dies. And so this is the thing you have to do is expose the lies with the truth. 
and give people the chance to change their own minds and God change their hearts in the process. So our Rejoice Detroit initiative, what I uh, what I'm, what we are doing in in if you can can give more generously at this time, we need to be able to post signs in our building in Detroit. I'm going to have a sign put on the side of the building, and these will be the lighted signs. We don't light them now because of the expense of it, but we will light them for this. We have some slogans, uh, Rejoice Detroit, and praying for the greatness of this city and praying for this great city to be even greater. So we're, we're encouraging people in the greatness of Detroit. We're not saying Detroit's a loser. We're not saying anything negative because that's just not what the truth is. So we will change the signs on the building. We'll use banners, paper banners in our, our windows to let people know that that's the location where this prayer is being heard. We'll call and invite people in. Uh, like I said, I've gotten commitments from some uh, worship leaders for us so that we can have live praise and worship. Um, some of you who have not you know, played your instruments in a while may be called on to do that. You know, So you've got to be flexible and understand that if God needs you to do something, you've got to jump in there and, and get it done. Uh, the Cleveland Church will bring the bus up on the first Saturday. Pastor Shirley and Nola have vowed to get that bus filled up. Um, and uh, we have a mandate to see the city of Detroit restored. I remember getting a prophecy from God in like 2002 or something, maybe the 90s, late 90s, early, that the big three were going to come down. And at that time, nobody believed it. Nobody wanted to believe it because you don't want to prophesy. It's like Elijah prophesying three years of drought. You know, you don't want that to happen. But sometimes things are on their way that direction. And so we want to see that come back again. What the Bible said, Elijah prayed earnestly for three years and then prayed to reverse it again. So we're praying that we reverse it again. Um, Our prayer focus will be on revival, spiritual revival, revival of of the uh, righteous in the city. Righteous people will start to speak up. They will start to get bold. They will start to pray. They will start to hear from God. The gospel will be preached again, not just watered down blessings. You know, if you give, you'll be blessed kind of stuff. We, we, want, we want a gospel that's going to change people. It, it's got to change people. <clears throat> we'll, um, let me see. We're going to document the like we always do with our prayers we we have been told by god that we will see evidence of the effects of our prayers in the news media uh, we first started out with newspapers but now you know that there's so much news on the internet there are the different blogs and stuff like that what people are calling the fifth estate so now we got a not just a fourth estate to fight but we got a fifth estate uh, that that is coming up now that people are talking about has power and it's always a spiritual power that they will because they have power and influence over words and over people's minds. Um, uh, we're, we're going to, I'm going to allow people to be able to use post-it notes, I think, to post uh, prayer requests on these posters that we have with different uh, aspects of what we're praying for. So the spiritual revival, if there are churches we need to pray for, uh, if there are churches that are on their way in decline, they need to be uh, beefed up, God needs to restore people in ministry, et cetera, et cetera, that can be posted on there. 
uh, prosperity and revival in the uh, industry, uh, in all industry, not just the automotive industry, and for the financial industry in Detroit. Um, That God's, uh, an increase in God's kingdom, that lost souls come in, that that there would be uh, a preaching of the gospel that would really win souls for Christ. A restoration of spiritual truth, in that area where truth is announced and believed, prosperity comes. Uh, economic prosperity, increase in jobs, careers and career opportunities, education, innovation, and advancement. That's one of the things that Detroit has always been known for is innovation, creativity, and advancement. <clears throat> Safety and protection of all people in the city. The health of the people in the city. Um, the drug and crime be removed, the reproach of Detroit be removed, Amen. and the righteous arise. Amen. That this would no more be a city left desolate, but that people would come to this city, be drawn to the city. We're going to have lawn signs that we'll place around the city. It will say, Rejoice Detroit give the address of the church, and, and so forth. So we want to saturate the city as much as we can with signage. That, that's, you know, the more you can say it, the more you can be, get people to look at it and hear it. You know the power of the word to do that. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we'll have signs that you can, those uh, cling signs that you can put in your window or put in your car window, that kind of stuff that people can have. Uh, that's talking about Rejoice Detroit so that we can get people stirred up that God is doing big things in the city. He's doing new things and he's reviving things. Uh, Isaiah 61 has always been our cornerstone scripture. Restoration, rebuilding of the walls, good leadership, godly leadership. Um, The city has been plundered of all of her resources, people, housing, finances, innovation and ideas. Those need to be returned. They've been stolen, so they need to be returned. So that's what we'll we'll command the devil to let go of these resources and return to her former glory. The glory will be revisited on the city of Detroit. And this will be a time of laying a foundation in pure stones, stones that will not be removed. Detroit will be known as the city that prayer built and prayer sustained. A righteous city where righteousness prevails. So we'll, we'll kind of have that written down somewhere, like one, one of our posters. That we'll have it on a sure foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Detroit will be known as the Zion of the Great Lakes. A city of peace and hope where people are allowed to dream again. People will begin to dream of having strong families, intact families, no broken households, but they will have intact and strong families to strengthen a strong city. And they'll be strong families under God. That God will energize the people to look to him for their needs, look to him for vision, for ideas, not to industry and government like they've done in the past, but to look to him. And so that's pretty much what we have for our 
Rejoice, Rejoice Detroit mandate. On the first Saturday of every month, there will be no meeting in Cleveland. So we're, we don't compete with one another. You know, if you don't feel like going, we got a, a meeting for sissies where you can just come late as usual. This one you're going to have to be on time for. You just won't get there. You got me? This will cure a lot of... So cure a lot of ills at one time. So praise the Lord. Only person that needs to be awake is Mr. Howard because he's doing the driving. So anyway, praise God. So that's our new assignment, folks. I'm excited. Amen. I've been waiting to go out uh, strong, to finish strong. That's what I've told the Lord I want to do. So in that, he's given us a new assignment to uh, mandate to pray. I was thinking years ago, Sandy Brown shared a testimony. She, um, <clears throat> Sandy's just kind of, you know, all the way live with God. And, uh, you know, <laughs> she's a human being. But some of her visitations from the Lord, she would have times where she said she would just begin worshiping God. And she said that when she was a brand new Christian. She didn't know much about God. She wasn't in a church or anybody to teach her. And she said, but Jesus, she could feel the love of God so strong that she would get dressed up to have praise and worship with Jesus. She, she looked like she, she treated him like one of her dates or something. She said, I just get all dressed up and get all excited. Well, she didn't know anything about it, but she did reverence God. But in one of her visitations from the Lord, she said that she saw um, a parade in heaven. And she said that God began to reveal all the people who had given their lives over to intercession. And she said that intercessors' crowns were so heavy, she said they would bring them in, like, you know, when they were talking about um, in Jericho where they brought the the grapes in on the on the beams between two shoulders. She said the crowns for intercessors. There are real crowns given in heaven, folks. She said the crowns for intercessors were being carried in like that and placed before the Lord as they all stood there, finally receiving their acknowledgement and reward for what they had done. So this is not a ministry where a lot of people are going to know who you are and even care. You know, they'll, you know, I've had people come up to me and say, well, I'm glad God told you to do it, not me, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where uh, it's like the dirtiest job people seem to think because you can't get a lot of man's juice from it, you know. So if you really don't care about man's juice, this is a good job for you because you won't get it usually in this lifetime. In fact, many people who are getting so much attention are, are really not due it. It's due to the way they present the things that they do. We all know that. And so what we need to do is focus on the fact that when you take up these assignments, it's pleasing to God because it's something real that he wants done, and you get real re results and real rewards. So when the new revised prayer manual comes out, we'll make everybody aware of it. I'll be able to get some copies here and so forth and so on. And play, pay full price for stuff, y'all. Don't always be wanting something on sale. Just an aside. <laughs> I saw where they, they're offering the prayer manual for $2. I saw more likes on there. Ricky was in there. I said, I ain't seen Ricky in two years. 
whoo, this is a good deal, and just clicking like three and four times. I know he clicked it again if he could have, but anyway, anywho. <laughs> but anyway, all right, folks, we're ready to go and have our lunch. Amen.